0: So if you have your Bibles, open them up to Matthew chapter 6, 6th chapter in the gospel of Matthew. Is that all right? We are uh, continuing our way through the Sermon on the Mount, right? The Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' first uh, public sermon that's recorded in the gospels, kind of pacing our way through here, and the, the lens that we've looked at the the Sermon on the Mount, through is this idea of the kingdom of God. Uh, this idea that Jesus is coming and bringing to us uh, really his manifesto of the kingdom of God. The manifesto of the, of the kingdom of God, the, the constitution, if you will, of the, of the kingdom of God, which is already here in our hearts and, and not yet consummated in the new creation. And Jesus is really answering the question, what does it look like for us, here and now, on this side of eternity, to live as citizens of God's kingdom. But what does it look like, practically, when God rules in your hearts and in your homes? And Really, it looks like a, an entirely different culture, an entirely different way of life. I think about you know, my trips to Serbia and just greetings and ways that you would interact and eat food together and how it was so different uh, in many ways to how we do things here. Uh, there's these culture clashes, and and we get this culture clash when we come to the the Sermon on the Mount. This this idea of an upside down way of life, where the the blessed life is is one of being poor in spirit, one of mourning, one of being persecuted, even suffering. Right? We don't typically think about suffering as a as a good thing or something that can produce fruit in us, but it but it does. It's it's good. We see that uh, we're called to live as assault in a world of decay and light in a world of darkness we're called not just to love our neighbors and our friends that's easy uh, but we're called to love our enemies that's hard that's that's a that's a totally different way of life and and this morning we're going to see in our passage uh, that we can relate to and commune with God as our father as our father which especially in this day and age where Jesus is teaching these things was an un- a totally different way of thinking about how to relate to God than what they were used to. We're kind of jumping from peak to peak, looking at the high points of the sermon. Obviously, all of them are equally true and inspired, but we're looking at some of the more well-known passages. And this morning, we come to the Lord's Prayer. So we heard it read this morning. Let me read uh, just the, the first part of it again. We'll go uh, verse 5 through 9. Okay, Read, read along with me. Five through 9, the Lord's Prayer and the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them. For your father knows what you need even before you ask him. Pray then like this, our father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So I got in trouble the other day by speaking to my wife the same way that I speak to my sons. Okay. It's a big no-no. I think I said something like, hey, grab that water. She was like, excuse me? Who do you think you're talking to? I was like, what? Well, I thought I was talking to you, but now the way you have responded, I'm not sure anymore. <laughs> How you speak should be determined by who you're talking to. Right? Sometimes I'll be on the phone and Nikki will try to guess who I'm talking to based on kind of how, I'm, how I'm communicating. Like If there's a level of warm familiarity and I'm talking about some unrealistic business idea that's never going to come to fruition, I'm probably talking to one of my friends. Right? If, there's, if there's a thoughtfulness and a respect, maybe I'm talking to my mom. If I'm getting frustrated and I'm saying things like, man, it's 2024, just pull up my information. Probably talking to customer service. How you speak should be determined by who you're talking to and the relationship that exists between you. And the same is true of prayer. And unfortunately, I don't know if this is because we're kind of perfectionists or we care too much about what other people think or we just have an immature understanding of who God is. Uh, but, But I have found we often get so distracted by the how of prayer that we miss the who. Right? It's not hard to find books on prayer that are like this. They give you acronyms and strategies and tips and models for how to pray. And I'm not saying that those things are bad. They have a place, but oftentimes we, we miss the point. What Jesus is trying to emphasize here is less of the, the what and, and more of the who, that at the very heart of, of prayer is our Heavenly Father, Our our Heavenly Father, who like any good father with their kids, wants to to be with us, wants to commune with us, wants our hearts. And if we we understand that, if we understand who God really is, our our good Father, and the love and care and understanding and protection that he has for us, we focus our hearts on who he is, everything else will sort of take care of itself. So I find a lot of times we come to passages like this and we want to create like a model for, well, we got to pray like this part and then we pray this part and this is what like a comprehensive prayer looks like. But really I want us to spend the bulk of our time considering who it is that we are communicating with and then by implication, what that tells us about how we should pray. So who and how, who and how. Of course, Jesus says that we pray to our Father. Again, he says, don't be like the hypocrites. They're on the street corners that they may be seen by others, verse 5. Verse 6, when you pray, shut the door and pray to your Father who's in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. First thing to recognize is that Jesus is speaking into a highly religious and kind of formalized context. These temple leaders that were around uh, that he was sort of pointing out had special titles, special clothes, special positions, special recitations uh, at special times of the day and special locations. And and much of that was actually not ordered by God, but was layered on top of what God had commanded just through man-made tradition. And why did they do this? Well, they did this, verse 5, that they may be seen by others. You see, for the hypocrites... The who, the object of their prayers, the one on the other line, is simply other people. You see, right at the outset, Jesus is driving at the who. And so in contrast, rather than praying to be seen or heard a certain way by others, look at verse 6. Go to your room and pray to your Father. And your Father who sees you in that secret place will reward you. And then he goes on to repeat himself. Verse 8, your Father knows what you need. Verse 9, our Father in heaven. For Jesus, it's all about the who. It's all about the father, your father. The word in Aramaic is the title Abba. It's the most personal way that uh, someone could refer to their earthly father, Abba. It's similar to saying dad, dad. Now we have the benefit of 2,000 years of church history, which has helped us kind of unpack these things. But again, for the original audience, this was a pretty crazy thing to say. It would have been provocative at best, blasphemous at worst. You see, the fatherhood of God is not really a central theme in the Old Testament. Now, it's there. We, we find it. It's not foreign, uh, but it's not central. And, and when the fatherhood of God is referenced, it's typically by way of analogy rather than as a direct reference to God as father. Like Psalm 103, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord shows compassion on those Who fear him. You see, it's more of an analogy. That's typically what we see in the Old Testament. But if you're looking at a line graph that shows the usage of the word Father to refer to God's identity, uh, you'll notice that when Jesus shows up in the Gospels, that graph skyrockets to the moon, right? As we used to say when we were hoping our uh, crypto bets would pay off. But unlike that, there's no crash. The usage of the word father to refer to God keeps going throughout the rest of the scriptures all the way through Revelation and will continue through all of eternity because it's it's not just an analogy, it's actually who God is. He, He is father. He is the father of fathers, the archetypal father, the good and better father. If there's anything that we understand about what a good father is, it comes from God himself. This means that God is deeply personal, friends. He's deeply personal. Your father sees you in secret. He knows what you need before you even ask. As he says elsewhere, the father has numbered every hair on your head. He's numbered your days. He knows everything about you. He's pursuing and caring and protecting and loving. Now, this may be difficult for you. you. this this might be a rub. You bump into this because all of us have imperfect dads. So when we think about it, it's just hard not to project our relationships with our with our earthly fathers onto to God. It's just a natural thing to do. We can't help ourselves. Even the greatest dads are light years away from the, the kindness of our Heavenly Father, as, as John Piper once said, the distance between a a bad father And a good father is like this. The distance between a good father and our heavenly father is infinite. So if you have trouble getting past the poor example of your own father, I just encourage you to let those things teach you about what God is not. The ways you've been traumatized by your earthly father demonstrate that it's not the way it's supposed to be. Something went terribly wrong, which means there is a standard. There is a reference point. There is an ideal. And can play the game of opposites. He's, he's, he's not abusive. He's caring. He's not harsh. He's warm and approachable. He's not quick-tempered. He's abounding in steadfast love, slow to anger. He doesn't just love you when you perform good enough. He loves you unconditionally because his son, Jesus, is good enough for you. He's not absent. He's always present. With the Father, you have nothing to prove. A recent illustration of a good Father, uh, for me, came from I was watching The Pacific, this show about World War II. Towards the end, uh, the father of one of the main characters is kind of receiving his son back from war. His son is deeply traumatized, and uh, the in the first scene, his uh, where he's back at home. Uh, he's he's in bed he's trying to go to sleep it's the middle of the night and he's tossing and turning and he's yelling right and he can't sleep and his father comes to the door and listens to his son and they're thrashing about in his bed and then he just goes and he takes a seat right outside of the room and he just sits there for the whole night to be present with his son and then and then later his his son is sitting beneath this tree just sort of working through what he has just experienced and uh, the son's mom comes and and essentially says you need to get up and get a job why are you lounging around this isn't good for you and and dad comes to his defense hey leave him alone you have no idea what he experienced give him some space he's going to be okay and then of course the son works through it and goes and gets a phd and he's and he's fine. And, and you just wonder what would have happened if the father had been different. If the father had came in with a harsh hand, perhaps like, like his mom, and said, get up and get a job. Figure it out right now. No. He was understanding. He was sympathetic. He sat outside the room of his son all night because he just wanted to be with him. And even that good dad is just a blurry shadow in comparison to who God, our Father, really is. Just let these words wash over you for a moment. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value to him than they? Every good and perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. My Father is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch you out of my Father's hand. In my Father's house, there are many rooms, and I go to prepare a place for you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Who is this Father? He's a father who loves you so much that he, he sent his one and only son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but would have everlasting life. I mean, imagine if I had the opportunity to save somebody but I had to trade the life of my son, Shepherd. I had to send Shepherd into excruciating suffering and to his own death. This was the decision that the Father made, and and it wasn't against His Son's will, for the Son was aligned in His desire to come and save us. And it wasn't because He didn't love the Son, it was because he, He loved you. With an everlasting love. Do you have any idea how loved you are? Do you have any idea how the heart of God the Father overflows with compassion for you? Do you have any idea of how how God just wants to be with you in that secret place? If you have even a hint of this love, it will radically shape the way that you pray. As John Stott said, before we pray, we must remind ourselves of who God really is. Only then will we approach him with the proper devotion and confidence. So how does this relationship with God the Father shape the how of our prayers? How does does the fact that we pray to a father affect the way that we pray? Let me give you three things. I think that uh, it means that we pray intimately, We pray honestly, and we pray reverently. Intimately, honestly, and reverently. First, intimately. Again, Jesus is less concerned about the the specifics of the what. The Lord's Prayer here is simply a baseline example. We know this because Jesus would go on to to pray all sorts of different things in different situations. And the early church prays all different things depending on the the need of the hour. So this is sort of just a, a picture, just an example What Jesus is really getting at is he wants us to relate to God as he really is. And so he draws this contrast between the prayers of the pagans on the one hand and the prayers of true sons and daughters on the other hand. And he does this in three ways that have everything to do with whether or not you relate to God as Father. And the first is moving from flashy prayers to intimate prayers. Flashy prayers to to intimate prayers. By flashy, I mean exuberant trying to attract attention, showy, theatrical, ostentatious. Like sometimes I'll come, I'll come home and I'll want some attention from Nikki and so I'll just kind of like break out a dance. And then I'll be like, what do you think of that? She'll be like, what are you doing? That, do- that doesn't do anything for me. You realize that. I don't know why I keep doing it. It's just because it makes me happy. But that's what what we do. We want to impress with the the theological depth, with the amount of words. Again, verse 5, they stood in the synagogues and on the street corners. They heaped up empty phrases as if they would be heard by their many words. Look at verse 7 again. Do not heap up empty phrases. That that word empty phrases, it's it's batalogia. Bata logia. it's an onomatopoeia, which is that it means what it sounds like. Logia is, is words, and bata is just the, the sound that it makes when you say gibberish. Bata, 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 right? It's just gibberish. It's just blabbering is what Jesus is saying. Interestingly, this is not too dissimilar from what folks do when, when praying in unintelligible tongues. So take that for what it's worth. But Jesus is saying, in contrast to these flashy and flamboyant prayers, go to your room and pray to your Father who sees you in secret. You can't connect with someone while trying to impress them at the same time. Intimacy comes when you have nothing to prove, when there's a deep comfortability of relationship. Now, flashy prayers might not be your temptation. It might not be your temptation to go out on the street corners and draw attention to yourself. Right? I know some of your personalities, and that probably sounds like death to you. but there's a reverse danger that I think comes from the same place. Do you ever not pray because you're worried that you won't say the right things? Do you ever not pray because you don't feel spiritual enough? Do you ever not pray because you don't think it's going to please God because of where you've been or where you are? It's the same issue. But the father who runs down the driveway to embrace his filthy, rebellious son wants to relieve you of that pressure. You see, Jesus is teaching the glorious truth that if God is father, then he's approachable. He doesn't need the flash. He doesn't need the noise. He doesn't need the perfect prayer. He doesn't need all the words. His heart is to be with you. He already knows what you need. I like to think of this as witness. God is after witness. He's after us being with him, opening up our lives to him. I can relate to this as a father myself. I find it quite annoying when my sons clamor for my attention. Like, dad, dad, dad. Like, dude, just calm down. Just come sit with me. Let's just be together. And this is what we see in the life of Christ. He regularly went where? To a desolate place while it was still dark to spend time with his father. Here's the point. Because God is a good father, we're freed from the pressure of flashy prayers and can approach him with intimate ones. I want to sprinkle in a little application as we go. How do we apply this? What does it look like to pray intimate prayers? Uh, Well, I just would love for you to consider, is there a place where you feel especially comfortable and open with the Lord? Is there a place that fosters intimacy between you and the Lord? Again, the location is not what's most important to Jesus, but it does it does illustrate what's going on in the heart. It does help the heart. The place affects your, your posture. So are there places where you feel more prone to open up to God? Is there a specific chair? Is it in your car? Is it prayer walks? For me, it's going out on a little walk. It's very helpful for me. Identify what... What are these places, these contexts, the secret place where I can connect with God more intimately and lean into that? Right? If, if sitting in a chair, like in a quiet room, d- doesn't help foster prayers, like that's that's kind of the case for me. It really doesn't help my prayer life to just sit in a chair in a quiet room. I gotta I gotta be on the move because of my, my personality and my I don't know my the way my brain works. So think about that, right? It doesn't have to be this specific thing. Think about what sort of places foster intimacy between you and God, and and lean into those intimate places, because your Father wants to be with you. So the next contrast here is the difference between fake prayer and honest prayer, fake prayer and honest prayer. So far from touting our own righteousness between the mask of false piety, Jesus encourages us to be honest with ourselves and with our needs with the Father. He does some name calling here. Not all name-calling is bad if it's true and done in love. And he calls these folks hypocrites. It's a compound word in Greek which literally means to to act or behave underneath or behind as a, as a mask. So a two-faced person. What they say doesn't match what's underneath. What they pray doesn't match the true relationship that exists between them and God. It's just a facade. And so in contrast, Jesus teaches to pray to the Father Who already knows what you need before you ask him. And look at this honest articulation of need. So much of of the uh, Lord's prayer is, is, is asking for stuff. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 11. Give us this day our daily bread. Lord, would you feed us? Would you provide for us? Forgive us our debts. Lord, I'm a sinner. I have offended you. I have offended others. Would you forgive me? I'm not perfect. I don't have it all together. Help me. And lead us not into temptation. Lord, I am prone to wander. Protect me. Hem me in. Keep me close. You hear the simple and clear expression of need. The Apostle Paul says, I boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses because when I am weak, then I am strong. Peter says, cast your anxieties upon him for he cares for you. The author of Hebrews says, we approach the throne of grace with confidence to receive mercy and help in our time of need. God doesn't want your false strength. He doesn't want your false faith. He wants your heart. He wants you to be honest. And again, Jesus sets the example for us. When he was in the garden, Sweating drops of blood, he wept before his father. He pleaded to his father, if there be another way to achieve their salvation, please let it be so. I don't want to do this. I'm hurting, I'm suffering, help me. The king of all creation was weak before his father. Which, by the way, is true strength. So how might we apply this? What might it look like to pray honest, not fake prayers? The way that I lean into this is I journal my troubles. Uh, Typically once a week, sometimes more, depending on the week, I'll just list out, I'll just write out all the things that are troubling my soul. Just write them out. I brought my, can you throw me the journal? So this was on the 23rd. What day was that? doesn't matter. And I'm going to read you part of what I journaled. I said, Lord, I am troubled over how I'm going to provide for my family, over whether or not we're going to have more children, over my son's spiritual lives, over my past mistakes that have hurt people. I'm troubled over what others think of me. I'm troubled over what has to happen to lead the church to a stronger place. I'm troubled over the slowness of my sanctification. And that was my prayer. And then I sat with that and just spent some time thinking about these things that trouble my soul and where I need the Lord's help. I just spent some time reading these things, thinking about how the Lord has provided and will provide it for my needs. So when it comes to prayer, friends, God the Father's at the heart. Keep your eyes on who, which will lead to a good how. We pray not with flashy prayers, but intimate ones, finding that secret place to be with God. We pray not fake prayers, but honest ones, perhaps journaling or Speaking out loud the things that trouble our soul. And lastly, we pray not flippant prayers, but reverent ones. Flippant prayers, but reverent ones. Starting to bring the plane down for landing. Uh, so again, this word in verse 7, batalagia. look at how the English uh, translators render this. Empty phrases. Empty phrases. The bata there doesn't mean anything. It's, there's no substance, there's no depth. These prayers are, are flippant, they're thoughtless. And in contrast, Jesus invites us to reverent prayers. And I know that word might have some connotations for you, religious connotations, whatever. Uh, a good way to think about reverence is with reference. What is, what is reverence? Reverence is, is with reference to who God really is. Communicating to him on the basis of who he really is. So flippant prayers take God for granted. Reverent prayers acknowledge the glory of who he really is. We read it, verse 9. Our Father in heaven, hallowed, holy, set apart, distinct, glorious is your name. And at the end, many manuscripts say, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Reverence. Respect. As with any son with a father they love, there exists a deep respect and, and admiration. Right? So just because the father is deeply personal and familiar with you doesn't mean that we don't approach him with humility and respect. You think about Psalm 103. We read it a moment ago. As the father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion on those who fear him, revere him, respect him, honor him. And this is how I want my sons to interact with me. Like, I want them to have an unshakable awareness of my kindness. I want them to feel free to always approach me with whatever they need. I want there to be intimacy and honesty, as we've talked about. But also, for their own good, I want them to have a respect for me, a respect for my strength, my ability, my authority. For It's that respect that gives them confidence in my ability to protect them and provide for them. A dad who's only a friend to his kids all the time is not worthy of respect and therefore can't be trusted as a strong protector when the enemy attacks. And again, Jesus sets the example for us. In his longest recorded prayer of John 17 we see him speak to the glory of his father over and over and over again. He says in verse four of chapter 17, I have glorified your name and I have accomplished the work that you sent me to do. So like a tree with with the deepest roots of intimacy, Jesus stretches to the highest heights of reverence for his father. How do we apply this? How do we pray with, with reverence or with reference to who God really is? This may feel like uh, tangential, but I I think it's related. I was talking with Jorgen about this this week. Uh, One way we pray with with reverence is we we pray with reference to the Trinity and the the ways that each member of the Trinity interacts with us and engages with us in different ways. Uh, We believe that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit are God, one God in three persons who have a different role to play in your life so do your prayers make trinitarian sense right do you thank the father for dying on the cross for you the father didn't die on the cross for you the son died on the cross for you right we pray empowered by the holy spirit through the mediation of the son to god the father Now, we can address the Spirit and Jesus in prayer. It's not wrong to do that. They're both persons. We have a relationship with them. If Jesus receives worship in the Bible, we can certainly pray to him. But the primary object of our prayers in the scriptures is the Father. We pray to the Father. And this is the glorious truth of the gospel. That we have been invited into the end of ends of the Trinitarian family. We've been invited in to the end of ends of all of who God is. That, that the Son qualifies us. He, he cleans us up. He intercedes for us. He brings us close to the Father who then receives us gladly because we, we stand with the righteousness of Christ upon our backs. And then he fills us with his spirit that we could always be connected to the Lord no matter where we are and no matter what's going on. We're invited to the end of ends, this love and glory that exists between the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And this is what Jesus prayed. In John 17, at the end, he said, I ask not for these only, that is his immediate disciples, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that's us, that they, that's us, would be one. Just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may be in us. The glory that you have given to me, I have given to them. And Father, I desire that they whom you've given to me may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given to me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. I have made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love that you have for me may be in them, and I in them. You see, we've, we've been invited into the Trinitarian family to engage with God the Father upon the merit of God the Son, empowered by God the Holy Spirit. And as a result, we can, we can come to Him intimately without anything to prove. Intimately. We can come to Him honestly. Honestly sharing a a real articulation of our need. He already knows what you need. And we can come to him reverently, praying on behalf of, of who he is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, asking the Father to lead us and to help us and to protect us. And in all of this, the ultimate goal, as Jesus prayed in John 17, is for us to be with him, to be in him. God is after this witness. He's after your heart. He wants to commune with you. Again, he's not after you saying all the perfect stuff or saying enough stuff. He wants your heart. And so every night when I put my boys to bed, the last thing that I say after I pray with them as I whisper in their ears, I say, your daddy loves you. And your father in heaven loves you even more. And then they say, even more. And I say, even more. And then as I'm leaving, they're like, even more. I'm like, Go to bed. Your daddy loves you. Your heavenly father loves you even Let's pray. Our Father, you are holy, you are good. We revere you, and we thank you for inviting us into your family. We thank you that you, your Your heart, your desire, your your character is that you want to be close to us. And I pray that we would would see you that way. That the imagination of our hearts would be drawn to images like the father running down the driveway to embrace his dirty son. That's your heart for us. And I pray that that would result in in a free and, and simple and comfortable prayer life where we commune with you always, bringing to you whatever it is that we need with confidence that your heart is to provide for us. And thank you, Jesus, for making that possible, for interceding for us, for cleaning up our prayers and presenting them to the Father. Would you continue to lead us by your Spirit, we pray, in Jesus' name? Amen.